And believe it or not, third John today. New record. Two letters in one day. They're pretty short. So, Finishing up first John last week. Uh, we come to these two very short letters. They were written for different reasons, but they actually fit together very well. Of course, just good instruction for us uh, with both of them. And just like 1 John, these were written late in his life. In fact, he will identify himself in both letters as the elder. And that could mean uh, the overseer or the guy in charge. But the context that John puts it in is the old guy. <laughs> At this point, he's the last of the disciples alive. And, and this is definitely towards the end of his ministry. Again, he did, he's got a lot more ahead of him. He's not aware of it, but there's still quite a bit that the Lord is going to use John for. But he uh, refers to himself as the elder. Now, Second uh, John is going to seem a lot like a summary of First John that we just went through. Again, it's short, but he's going to hit some of those same topics. And uh, we'll get into why that he's hitting some of those same topics in such a, in a fast way or in a summarized way. But so with some of the same themes, he's going to talk about the importance of the love of God and, of course, loving one another. But he's going to bring in the point of walking in truth as well, that, which he touched on several times in, in 1 John, that it isn't just that if we're loving God and loving each other, that it's a lot more than just words that our actions are accompanying it, right? We're walking in truth. While he didn't use the, that term in 1 John, it's the same idea. That if these things are true, loving God, loving our neighbor, it's seen in our actions. It's seen in our lives. Not just a one-time event, but it's a long stream of, of these events of walking in truth in our life. And uh, when we start to lose focus of the importance of these things, of course, we're going to start to go off course. And so John's encouragement to them and to us is that, yes, you already know these things. These aren't new revelatory kind of ideas. The trick is continuing in them, walking in them, and growing in them, right? So uh, we will stop for a question and answer, but we're just going to stop at the end of each letter since they're, again, just a few verses, and then we're going to jump to the next section. So we'll just have a few question and answer sections as we go. Let's pray and we will get into 2 John. Lord Jesus, again, we're so grateful for your love for us and for your word. And I pray that you would just cause our ears to be tuned in to what you want to say to us today. Holy Spirit, that you would apply these things to our hearts and to our lives. You know us intimately and how these things work out in our lives is in your hands. Uh, just give us ears to hear today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So 2 John, verse 1. says, The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly 
that I have found some of your children walking in truth. As we received commandments from the Father, and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to His commandments. This commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. Like I said, some of the very same terms and phrases that John uses in 1 John, he uses here. And he writes this to the elect or the chosen lady. And we don't know who this is. There's a lot of speculation on who this might be. It could simply be a woman in leadership uh, within the church. And there were many. That's one of those big debates that people will say, oh, the church doesn't put women in leadership. Sure they do. And they always have. Uh, when it's done in a biblical way, and there's guidelines and parameters of what that means. So that she might be a woman in leadership in a church, uh, but there's no uh, idea or name given to her at all. One of the theories, and I tend to lean this way, and it's kind of how this letter is structured, that it's written not in a personal way, like this is some woman that, that John knows. It's written in a way that's, that's very abstract from any of his other letters and really from any of the letters written by Paul as well. And so it's possible that this was written um, for a very specific purpose and to a certain group of people rather than an individual. When John writes this, the, the persecution had broken out in the church. Rome was full on against the church, blaming them for so many things, rounding them up in certain areas, not everywhere. And so as John writes this letter, it may very well be that he's writing instruction to a group of Christians covertly. When he speaks of this dear lady, he could very very well mean the bride of Christ. When he speaks of her children, it's the believers within that church. And again, we don't know. This is speculation. But it makes sense with the structure of the letter, the way that John does not write or assign his name to any of it either, uh, and does not write it to a specific person or name her by name. Uh, It may simply have been just to keep the people of the church safe. Verse 1, he says, Who I love in truth, and not only I, but also those, all those who have known the truth. And again, this makes sense talking about all believers that would love the church, love believers within the church. And this is where we see John kind of bringing in the importance of truth and love together. Um, And again, we talked about this not that long ago, how different the body of Christ is, how diverse that we come from every background, nation, tongue, people throughout the entire world. Uh, One of my funnest experiences that I had uh, with this idea was I was flying to Central America, uh, and I was on my, way, on my way to this very remote area. And so this gentleman sitting next to me uh, doesn't speak a word of English. I didn't speak a word of Spanish. And, and since I'm pretty much alone on this flight, <laughs> nobody else spoke English either, I just get my Bible out and start reading it. And he leans over, and he taps on, his, on my Bible, and then he taps on his heart. And I'm like, yeah. And so we start like this whole conversation without being able to communicate, right? And, and 
it was so cool because I felt like the Lord was just giving us both understanding. And I got the idea that I was a pastor and I was heading down to this place in Honduras. And he was letting me know that he was going to propose to his girlfriend. You know, all these things. And I'm like, this is awesome. You know, but no other connection than Jesus. Completely different backgrounds, different heritage, different experiences, different language. But Jesus was enough, right? And the body of Christ, again, when it is healthy, and it's Jesus that brings unity. And that's something, we know this, but it's something the world needs to know, especially now, with so much division, politically, racially, anything that people can find division over, they find division. In Jesus, we're all on an equal playing field. Jesus brings us back to the knowledge Again, of truth and love. The truth that all mankind, no matter where, what we've been through, what, how we were raised, we are sinners in need of a Savior. It is an even playing field. Nobody better, nobody worse. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And only Jesus is able to meet us in that place. Only he is able to save us. And it is by his love that he has chosen to save us. Truth of who we are and who he is. Motivated by the love that he has for us. There's so many things that I cannot relate with people about. So many things that I don't understand about their lives. But again, if they have Jesus, he's the only thing that matters. And I can at least begin to have compassion or somewhat understanding upon their life. But Jesus is the connection. Man, it's powerful. And there's nothing else like the truth and love that is found in Jesus. Now, John touched on this same idea in 1 John. We talked about the importance of love and righteousness, right? That they are meant to work together. This is that same idea. He just phrases it a little bit differently, that it's love and truth. Because if you just have one and not the other, we go off course. If we just focus completely on truth, it's all about truth, and we're going to be true, and we're going to constantly speak truth, it is easy to do terrible damage to somebody's life. In fact, truth without love becomes legalism. It becomes a law upon a law upon a law that others should follow, and it just does damage. But the reverse is also true, that if you have love without truth, it becomes immorality because there's no guidelines. There's no definition of, of what love is. It's just whatever you want love to be. And so you can go zinging off in a wrong direction that way as well. They have to be together, love and truth. And Jesus is a definition of both of what they are. They, he reveals them to us, and then he shows us what it means to be actually motivated by love. The things he has done for us and the things he continues to do for us are for our good, even when we don't understand it, right? And as we've talked about so many times before, it's about letting that love flow through us. So that we're receiving it, but it also means that's how we're to love the people around us, to speak the truth, but to do it in love, to do it with their best in mind. Again, they may not want to hear it, but our desire is, is, should be motivated by love. Now, in verse 4, 
He says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. Again, this could be speaking of a woman, and it could be her physical children, or it could be people that she's led to the Lord. She could be an influential person, um, but it could also be the church and the members of that church that he's come across. And he said, hey, I rejoice to find the people that are a part of your community walking in the truth, right? Um, Either way, I think the same thing is true. And he's going to say this even... I think clearer when we get to Second John, or excuse me, Third John. There's something so rewarding about when you get to share the Lord with somebody, or maybe disciple them in the Lord, just come alongside them in their walk, and and to see them progress and grow and do better. And then when you run into them or you hear a report about them years later and someone goes, oh man, they are just in love with Jesus. They are doing so good. Their family's doing great and healthy. And you can remember who they were before and you hear that report now, man, it, it's like, it, it brings me to tears when I think about it. It's so powerful and so joyful to see someone that, that you've seen on that whole journey doing well. And so as, as John is talking about this, I mean, that's something I hope we all have that experience, not just once, but multiple times in our lives, to rejoice when we find those people that we've somehow touched their lives and that they're just doing well, kind of being the spiritual parent or the discipler in their life. Man, it's powerful stuff. And... Uh, and really, that's what John's saying here. Whether it's to an individual or to a church, doesn't matter. He's saying, hey, I ran into some of your kids, and they're doing great. And I love that. I love to hear that. Unfortunately, the other side is also true. That people that you pour into and that hear they're doing horrible, to hear that they walked away from the Lord, it's heartbreaking, right? And, and so it's the good news, man, that, that gives you the fire to keep going. There's so many things to get discouraged about in life and in ministry, that when you get something like this, man, I, I just relate with John going, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good to see people doing well and walking with the Lord. But uh, as we're going to see, he's not just writing this as a letter of encouragement. There's something he's also heard about that's concerning him. And so he's writing this to bring warning and instruction about his concern. So verse 7 says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses does not abide In the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive them into your home, nor greet them. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face that our joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. Uh, Again, John writes this because he's concerned. If this is a woman or if this is a church, uh, the issue 
that he's addressing is that a false teacher is coming in and trying to lead them astray, trying to bring a different doctrine, bring a different Jesus. And so his instruction, the loving thing for them to do, for the church and for the individual, is to turn that false teacher away, to shut them down, to close the door to their influence and their connection to anyone in the church. Now, there have always been those, and even back in the days of just the Jewish faith, there have been those who have taken pieces and bits of it and run off with it, right, and started cults. Well, it was the same thing in the early church. There were those sometimes even very early in the church that had taken ideas and, and ran off. And John talked about that in 1 John. But at this time, one of the cults that was just taking off, in fact, they weren't even named this yet, but they were on their way is what we refer to as the Gnostics. Now, the Gnostics were an interesting group because they could talk the talk and they would use the same terms and they would say things that made them sound like they were Christians. And so they very easily made their way into the church they would quote scripture, they'd talk about Jesus, they'd say that Jesus was absolutely fully God Almighty. But their change, their deviation was, while he's fully God, he was not fully man. And they had all of these weird things that they would tell people that, oh, well, we've interviewed people that were healed by Jesus. And you know what? They never felt him touch them. Jesus never physically touched anybody. And people were like, wow, Really? And they say, well, when Jesus walked on the shore with the disciples, he never left footprints. So he was a spiritual being that only appeared to be man, but he was never actually physical. So that was their thing, is that anything physical is absolutely sinful, so therefore Jesus couldn't be physical, right? And unfortunately, a lot of the church would say, I shouldn't say a lot of the church, some of the church then would go, well, is that that big of a deal? I mean, really, okay, so they're saying he's fully God. They're saying he's the Savior, but he wasn't fully man. Is, is that something we need to get upset about, boot them out of the church and turn them away? Yeah, it's huge. It's huge because what it means is, is that Jesus was never hungry, was never weeping, never felt pain, was never actually here in physical form. He didn't relate with us, didn't become one of us, that in fact the entire thing was a deception and that he was putting on this orchestrated play for mankind and deceiving us all. Yeah, it's a huge deal. And that's why John, I think, specifically targeting that group, saying Jesus was not fully man, says that and warns that if anybody does not believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Yeah, he was one of us. Born. Fully man and fully God at the same time. In order to pay the price that we owe. And anybody that teaches different than that, John says they are a deceiver and an antichrist. And then he tells the people, in verse 8, look to yourselves, that we do not lose the things that we've worked for. Don't let these people come in and rip you off from the simple truth of Jesus Christ with made-up stories and fables and ideas that have no foundation. And the other thing that I think is so cool about this is that John could speak from experience. 
John was the, the one guy left to go, you know what? I walked on that shore with Jesus, and he did leave footprints. And Jesus did touch me, and I felt it, right? So he was the, one, the last guy left in some ways that could speak with this much authority to go, don't believe a word that those guys are saying. And don't let them undo all that we've worked so hard to accomplish, right? The same truth for us. That there will people who come along and say, oh, well, you didn't really get saved, or Jesus didn't really save you. It's just an experience that you used to justify your actions. Or, you know, and they try and dismiss all these things. And to tell you the truth, people can sound really intelligent. Do not let them deceive you. Do not let them steal away, cause you to lose the things that Jesus worked so hard to give us, right? And he also, the way he words this, look to yourself. He's saying, be honest about the problem that you're facing. Don't minimize it. Oh, these guys aren't that big of a deal. They seem nice enough. Look to yourselves. Be honest. And then you make the decision. To some degree, John's saying, look, I can't make this decision for you. I'm not there. I'm telling you what's right, and I'm telling you not to listen to him, but you've got to make the decision to do this. You have to choose to put these guys out. And what he says sounds harsh. He says, if, somebody, if someone does not bring the doctrine of Christ, don't let them into your home. Don't even greet them. And you're like, wow, don't even greet them? Well, so for us, that isn't just like walking by going, hey, you know, <laughs> that's our big, deep greeting we have in our culture. Um, it was much more, certainly in the Jewish culture, that a greeting was something that you were like connecting with someone on. It was personal. You were taking your time, acknowledging them. And, and so he's saying, don't do that. Don't let them into your home. And again, this sounds harsh, but understand, he's not talking about someone who just doesn't know Jesus. He's not talking about somebody who just has questions about, well, I don't know. Is it important that Jesus died for us? Is it? He's not talking about that person. He's also not talking about somebody that's struggling with sin and is having trouble getting free from it. You know, that they're dealing with some addiction or some thing in their life and they, they want to get free, but they can't. He's not talking about that person. He's talking about those who willfully teach false doctrine for their own gain. These people are doing what they do to get something. Now, maybe that's just followers or power, or maybe it's money. It doesn't matter. Those are the people that we aren't to give any place in our lives. Because if we do, then we become a stepping stone for them to deceive others. And I've seen this. Uh, I've had a, a couple experiences, not to this exact uh, picture, but pretty close, where somebody's trying to cause some problem, and so then they'll meet with me and just talk nonsense or just super superficial stuff. And I'm like, well, why, did we, why did they even want to meet? Because then they were able to go out and tell other people, hey, I met with Pastor Jack today. And we talked all about this stuff, and he's on board. And people go, well, I know that they met with Pastor Jack today. Gosh, is that true? You become a stepping stone. So if they can come into your house and people see you greeting them publicly, then they're like, eh, maybe they are okay with all this stuff. And John's saying, don't even give them that. Don't even, and again, these are the people trying to deceive, trying to lead people away. Um, that in verse 11... He who greets him shares in his evil deeds. And that's how. Is that we're, we become the stepping stone for them to reach others. Whether people in our family or our neighbors or people in our church. And so really he's just telling them, look, stand on the truth. 
do the loving thing for everyone involved, including the false teacher, and show tough love. And just say no. You know, close the door. Don't allow them to, to get that place and use you as a stepping stone. So it's, it's a tough instruction, especially when we have to apply it. I think for us here, we go, okay, yeah, that makes sense. But when it comes to somebody that you're actually letting into your life or that you've met and you were hoping, yeah, maybe this is a good person. Maybe this is somebody that could be really interested in the Lord and you find out they're not. That's a, that's a tough love that has to be shown there. And that's what John's pointing us to. So any questions? Anything come in on the, nothing on the phone? Okay. On we go. Third John. See how fast that was? Fast. All right. Verse 1 of 3 John. The elder, to the beloved Gaius, who I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health, just as your soul prospers. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you. Just as you walk in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear my children walk in truth. Beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers who have borne witness of your love before the church. If you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well because they went forth for his namesake, taking nothing from the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such as, excuse me, we may receive such that we may become fellow workers for truth. Um, As John writes this letter, he does name who it's to, this guy uh, Gaius, and we see that his name appears a couple times in the New Testament. Now, this might be a different name or a different guy with the same name. It's a fairly common name, uh, but it could also be the same guy. Again, it doesn't really matter. As John writes to this, he's writing to a guy who's in a tough situation. And again, we, we can find this same thing happening today, unfortunately. He's a good guy. He loves the Lord. And he loves the people that belong to the Lord. He loves Christians. The problem is, is that he's a part of a church with bad leadership. In fact, it's, it's a good chance, as we'll see, that he's actually been kicked out of that church. And so now John's writing to him, first of all, to encourage him in his character. To go, man, you are doing the right thing. You are honoring the Lord by your life and by your character. And so he goes, he encourages him, but then he's also going to address this issue that uh, has been taking place for, for Gaius. And, uh, you know, again, he's serving the Lord. He's loving God's people. In verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Which tells us that at some point, John led this guy to the Lord. Or at least discipled this guy for a while. Where he's like, man, I consider you one of my spiritual kids. And I love to hear a good report about those people that I poured into. Just like I talked about a few minutes ago. That to know that somebody you, you poured into is doing well, man, man, does something deep. And it makes all the trials worth it. You know, John's already been through a lot. And so for him to go, okay, guys, man, you make it worth it. 
seeing you're doing well, seeing how you're serving the body, how you're loving on people. It makes it worth it. Um, in verse 5, he talks about this work that Gaius has done, that he's been faithful to continue. And it's a great thing. Again, he just hasn't given up. What he's called to do, he's been faithful to do. And, uh, and it's powerful. Unfortunately, it's kind of rare. You know, that, that we, I think too often we all start really well. We do really well at the beginning of something, and then it's easy to lose interest and move on to something else. And what the, the Lord has called him to do, he has continued to do faithfully. And I love this for me personally because we, we see that Gaius wasn't called to a huge ministry. He didn't have a massive church. He didn't have a huge following. He didn't have some international ministry happening. It wasn't some big flashy thing. What he was called to is hospitality. And too often we look at that as such a small thing. Like it's, like it's some of the icing on the Christian cake. Where we're like, oh yeah, these are all the important things. Oh, and those people, they're very hospitable. <laughs> But to me, I just look at this and I'm like, okay, out of all the things that the Lord could have moved John to write about, of all the people that God could have moved by the Holy Spirit to inspire John to write a letter to, it's this guy that's just kind and opens up his home. That he shows hospitality. He gives other believers a safe place to stay, which was not all that easy back in the day. Probably gives them some food, serves them, and just encourages them. Loves on them. And it's so important. I'm sure that even Gaius, it's funny, because whenever I've talked to somebody, and we've got some people who are very gifted with hospitality in this church. And whenever you tell them, like, man, it's so cool to see how the Lord uses you. And they're like, ah, it's nothing, you know. (laughs) And they just, they themselves kind of dismiss the very gift that they've been given. I'm sure Gaius is the same way. He's like, what? You know, I got a spare room. People come through town. They know they can stay with me. And I always got some extra food. I can swing their way. It's not that big of a deal. Well, it's a big deal to the Lord. Because the Lord made sure to have Gaius' name forever put into the scriptures as being hospitable. That's a pretty cool thing. You know, this is a guy that we'll meet when we get to heaven. And we're like, no way, you're that dude, that's crazy. <laughs> you, you were faithful, man. You did what God gave you to do. And, and again, not called to be successful in the world's eyes. Not called to be wealthy, to have some flashy thing. We are all called simply to be faithful with what we've been given. And this guy has been, right? John writes to him to encourage him that he is the one that the Lord is pleased with. You know, and again, for us, I guess the question is, I think so often we're good at seeing what we don't have. We're, we're good at looking at the gifts that we don't have and, and the things that we think we need to be useful, right? But what have you been given right now today? What are you gifted with right now? Who has been brought into your sphere of influence right now? Not someday, not eventually, but today. That's where we're called to be faithful. And that's what the Lord desires for us. That we would be just like Gaius, man. That we would send them forward, whoever they might be, on their journey in a manner worthy of God. That we may become fellow workers of the 
for the truth. That's, that's a great way of summarizing what we're supposed to do as believers. That whoever comes into our lives, we're able to bless them, to send them on their way in a worthy manner of God. That then when they leave, they're like, man, I'm so blessed that God connected me with them. And that, that by doing that, man, we're fellow workers of the truth. We're getting shoulder to shoulder with Jesus himself to do the work he desires to do in the people. It's awesome. Again, Gaius is a great example of, of faithfulness. However, he is at odds with someone. Not necessarily that he is personally upset or in conflict, but something's gone down for poor Gaius here. Um, and so we see the contrast to him, this person that is unteachable, self-serving, desires to be a leader, in fact, is probably the leader of the church. And again, it's time for John to bring a little tough love. So in verse 9, wait, i got to find my spot. There we go. Okay. Verse 9 says, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he has done, pratting against us with malicious words. And not content with that, he himself does not receive the brethren and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony for all, excuse me, from all, and from the truth itself. And we also bear witness, and you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write, but I do not wish to write you with pen and ink. But I hope to see you shortly, and we shall speak face to face. Peace to you. Our friends greet you. Greet the friends by name. So here's this guy, faithful, loves to have people stay at his house, is gifted with this hospitality. And on the other side of that is this guy Diotrephes, who sounds like the leader of the church, the pastor of the church. We don't know exactly, but definitely has influence in the church. And John doesn't pull any punches. We see this with with Paul as well. He doesn't kind of do that thing that we do where we, we're trying to make a point, but we make it so softly we never actually make it, where we're like, well, there's this, there's this one guy or this is this one person who might be in leadership, and we kind of hint so much at it that we're hoping that everyone else will get it and go, oh, yeah, that person, right? John's like, hey, you know that guy Diotrephes? Just names him. And this is what he's like, and this is what he's about, and he's into, you know, he wants preeminence, he wants power, he wants all these things. And he just lays it out that this guy loves to be in charge. He, he loves to teach, but he refused to be, refuses to be taught. Man, a teachable spirit is so important as it comes to life, but especially as it comes to ministry. Somebody that's got it all figured out, that's the last person you want in charge. The person that is, is humble and, and is like, no, I want to learn, I want to be taught, I'll take instruction, I'll take discipline, whatever I need. I want to be useful. 
That person doesn't need any experience because they will gain it quickly. Diotrephes, he wants to be in charge. He won't receive instruction. He loves to have preeminence. This is the same type of person they will gossip and backbite and tear down anyone who stands for the truth. That very person that's taking that humble seat is the person that they feed on, that they tear down, that they belittle and push to the side because they don't want to be compared to that person. And they will even go against the authorities over them, in this case, after John. And he talks about that they love, uh, that they're pratting against us, which is a funny term. It, it means uh, talking nonsense or literally to belch, that they are belching nonsense at us. But again, doesn't matter. They're just trying to tear down people under them and people over them. They are the opposite of hospitable. In fact, not only are they always looking to get or to gain, they don't receive others. And to those who would, they're kicking those people out of church. And this is why Gaius has probably been removed, if in fact that's happened. Again, that's, that's some conjecture on my part, but it makes sense. John's writing to him going, man, you need to know the Lord's happy with you. He's pleased with your life. You've blessed the brethren. You've encouraged those that have traveled and gone to you. You've sent them on in a, worthy, in a manner worthy of God. And then there's this other guy who looks like he's in charge, who acts like he's in charge, and I'm telling you, he's not. In fact, John makes it pretty clear, I'm going to deal with him when I get there. I love that, right? You almost get that sense of protectiveness that John has over this church. These people uh, may look like they've got all things in order. In fact, I think it's hard. And again, we don't know where Gaius was, but I know for myself personally, when I've been in situations similar to this, it's easy to start second-guessing everything you're doing. When you've got that person that's you know, constantly tearing you down, you're out of line, and you shouldn't have done this, and how dare you do those things? And you're like, well, I'm trying to do them for the Lord. Well, you were wrong. And, and you can kind of start second-guessing yourself. Maybe I am wrong. Maybe they have such a high spiritual standard, and I don't. Maybe I'm the one that has kind of gotten it wrong all this time. And again, John writes this letter to say, no, you're the one that's got it right. You're the one serving the Lord from a right motive. But this other guy, I'm going I'm to deal with him. In verse 12, he talks about Demetrius and uh, says that he has a good testimony from all, meaning all the people that have worked with him or know him, but also from the truth itself. Uh, this is probably the guy that was carrying the letter. It's probably John wrote the letter, gives it to Demetrius, he takes it to Gaius, and they didn't know each other. So this is where he's introducing them, and he's saying, look, this is a guy that I've sent to probably have the initial sit down with those people who are causing trouble. And if nothing else to say, John's on his way. <laughs> the last of the disciples is coming here and he's not happy with you. Again, for us, we can just look at it and go from a historical point of view. It's interesting, but I think it has great relevance and application to our lives. First, second and third John. And this is the part that we, we need to look to ourselves. Lord, what do you want to say to me through your word? What are you trying to get across to me? And I think, in both of these letters, 
There's the example of times that we need to bring a tough love. But it's not something we can ever do lightly. See, our flesh wants to be tough, wants to be mean and call it love and try and justify it that way. But when it really is love, it's something that's hard for us to do. It's something that's difficult for us to enact because we don't want to hurt that person. But it's still, there are still times in our lives that we need to, in a very prayerful, careful way, show tough love. Speak the truth and speak it in love. That we be those that are putting off our own self-serving. We're putting off our own uh, diatrophies, you know, our own flesh. And instead, man, we're wanting to be like Gaius, be the one that's serving and loving that we might send people on in a worthy manner, in a manner worthy of God, that we would use the gifts that we've been given right now, not looking to those things we don't have, but just know that we are to be faithful with what we've been given. Amen? Amen? Amen. Any questions? Okay, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the power of your word and the example that you've given us through men like John. Lord, we do desire to love people the way you love them, to show your character, to show your kindness and your forgiveness and your love through our lives. God, but you're the one that shows us how that really applies, that we would be those tuned in to the voice of you, Holy Spirit, and led by you every step of the way. Show us how these things apply to us, how they're lived out this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.